You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. Well, we have, uh, I think we've completed about 11 weeks now of social distancing. I mean, I've never used the two terms social distancing before, except for the, in the midst of this pandemic. And so I guess the question I have for you is like, how are you doing? How are you doing in the midst of this uh, time that seems to be going on and on and on? I wonder if we could, if we had the opportunity, we could take the uh, emotional temperature of our country. I wonder what we would find. What kind of range of emotions would we find around our country? I'm sure many of you, like me, are thankful to the Lord for um, for what he's providing for us during this time. I think probably a lot of us are Zoomed out. Uh, the last thing we want to do is have a, another Zoom mini meeting. Some of us are like pent up. We're like ready to get going. And uh, so there's a lot of range of emotions, uh, frustration, thankfulness, celebration, everything across the board probably being felt in your lives as it is in my life from day to day, the swings of up and down and around. Well, I've got some good news today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 19, verses 11 through 20, and God is going to encourage us, and he's going to challenge us in his word. So let's get our Bibles open to Acts chapter 19. We're going to be reading verses 11 through 20 this morning, and we're going to look at how God encouraged the church there in Ephesus. Now, here's the context. We're still in Ephesus. Um, Paul spent about three years of his life in uh, with that church. Is, we're on his third missionary journey, and it says in Acts chapter 19, verse 8, that he was entering the synagogue. He did that every day, and for three months he spoke boldly, reasoning, and persuading them about the kingdom of God. So here's Paul in the synagogue persuading them about the kingdom of God, and he, surprise, surprise, gets some opposition as he's presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ, talking about the kingdom of God. He's opposed, and so he, the opposition is so strong that he pulls the disciples out of going to the synagogue, and it says here in the, in the text here in verse 9 and verse 10 that he went to a place called the Hall of Tyrannus and daily... Daily, he would go there with them, reasoning with the disciples. And so it says in verse 10, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Right? That's the context. Paul, when most people would have been off of work probably in the afternoon, goes to the Hall of Tyrannus after he's worked his job in the morning building, uh, building tents, He's off to the hall of Tyrannus, and he teaches every single day. This is like so mind-boggling to me. Every single day in the afternoon, he's there teaching his disciples. They're taking what they're taught, and so that, that everyone had heard about the word of the Lord in Asia, Jews and Greeks. God's at work. God's at work so powerfully. If you just kind of take, take where we are in verse 10 and just go all the way down to the end of the passage in verse 20, it says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. God is at work. This is such good news. That word so in verse 20 means in this way. In this way, the word of the Lord continued to increase 
and prevail mightily. Well, what was the way? Well, the way is the story we're about to read in verses 11 through 19. God is powerfully increasing the spread and impact of the word of the Lord. He's expanding his kingdom. He's building his church. Jesus is doing what he promised to do in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, when he said, I will build my church. He did it then, and hey, 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 hear me out. Even during this pandemic, he's doing it now. He's doing it now. This is encouraging. It's even very exciting. So the question is, how does God, we know God's at work, but how is it that God is spreading the word of the Lord? How is it that he is expanding his kingdom? How is it that he is building his church? How is he doing that? Well, we'll see in verses 11 through 19 that God builds his church. He refines it. He prunes it. He adds to it. He multiplies it by revealing and changing hearts. You ready? All right, let's look at God's word. Chapter 19, verse 11. Let's look at how God is at work. Our first point, God is at work. Verse 11. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. God is at work. He is in absolute control. Luke is emphasizing that in verse 11. He's saying it's God that did this, not Paul. God's the one that's doing this, he says in verse 11. Paul's hands are but just God's instruments. The spotlight is fallen on the, not on the Apostle Paul, but on God himself, and specifically we'll see on the name of Jesus Christ. No, we would never give credit. Let's just imagine we had a fantastic wall that was being built. It's like the one that's behind me. We would never give credit for the building of that wall to the hammer. We would always give credit to the building of the, hall to the, to, of the wall to the one who was holding the hammer. And so it is with God and the Apostle Paul. Even though God is working mightily through the Apostle Paul, it's God that's working mightily through the Apostle Paul. It's God that is doing the work. He's the one that's at work. He's the one who is in control. And you'll notice that he is at work, he's in control, and he's doing it with the unusual. Verses 11 and 12, it says, God was doing extraordinary miracles. And if you're like me and you think, wow, I, like, do you actually need both of those words, extraordinary miracles, together? Because I kind of think, wow, aren't all miracles extraordinary? Well, here the word extraordinary means not common or unusual. Luke's not saying, hey, there are miracles and then there are miracles. That's not what he's saying. He's not trying to say that at all. He's just saying that these miracles that God is performing through the hands of Paul, they're just not the usual kinds of ones. And that's what I love about God. God just doesn't always work with the usual, I think in the Old Testament of the burning bush when Moses showed up in the wilderness and there was this bush that was on fire. It was burning, but it never burnt up. That's not common. That's not usual. Or I think of the people of Israel who were stuck in the wilderness and they needed food and God provided for them every single day this thing called manna. 
They didn't even know what manna was. They just said, what is it? It's manna. And, but every single day, I mean, that's not normal. Even Peter's shadow in Acts chapter 5 is Peter's shadow passed over people and people were healed. I mean, that's not seemingly normal. Here in this passage in verse 12, he's talking about these things that are not usual or normal. They were handkerchiefs or, or aprons that had touched Paul's skin and were being carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. There were these handkerchiefs, these aprons. They were probably sweat rags. They were these rags or these coverings that the Apostle Paul had on his clothing, probably when he was doing his job in the morning. And, you know, he's working hard and sweat's pouring off his forehead and it was soaking up the handkerchief that was tied around his his head, and then at the end of the shift, end of the shift, people would grab the stuff and they would distribute it among the sick, and the sick would touch it, and they would get healed, and the evil spirits that were in them were being cast out. That's not usual, and that's what I love about God. God works in things that aren't common at times. He works in things in unusual ways. And I think about the pandemic that is on us right now and all the, the, the flipping upside down of our world. And I just, I want to remind us that, that God still is at work. He's in control and he's working in the unusual. Now, I know this pandemic, this pandemic reminds all of us, it should remind all of us that because of our sin and because of mankind's rejection of God all the way back in the Garden of Eden, we live with the results of the curse, the results of sin, that disease and pain and death. The pandemic is an example, it reminds us of that, of the reality of our lives. But don't be mistaken, God is still at work. He's using this time to get our attention. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his quote. He says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See that? It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The question for us is, are we listening? Are we listening? You see, God is at work. That, there's no doubt about that. And in the midst of the work, listen, second point, he's revealing and changing hearts. Proverbs 17.3 here on the screen. Proverbs 17.3 says, The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. The Lord tests hearts. That's what God does. And here in Acts chapter 19, verses 13 through 19, the test of the heart is all around our response to the name of Jesus. So when it comes to Jesus, what is the condition of your heart? And I'm going to show you three different kinds of heart responses here in this story. Similar responses that we should be having in the midst of our pandemic and in the midst of our world that's been turned upside down. Here's the first heart. We shouldn't have this heart, but here's the first heart. It's an unbelieving heart. Verses 13 and 14. Look at what it says. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. 
Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. Seven sons of this priest named Sceva, they were Jewish exorcists who were casting out evil spirits, who seemed to be able to cast out evil spirits, but they seemed to have hit a dry spot in their ability to cast out evil spirits. And so what they do is they see what's happening through the Apostle Paul's life, and they want in on the action. They want that. And so it says in verse 13, right, they come to the evil spirits, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Right? They, they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over these evil spirits. Please notice this. Jesus has absolutely no part in these men's lives. It's Paul's Jesus. I mean, they even say that right in the text. Uh, you know, we, we invoke, we, we're crying out in the name of the Jesus, you know, the, the one that Paul talks about, like not, not the one that we talk about. It's not, he's not part of their life. When it comes to Jesus, their hearts are cold, they're sterile, they're pragmatic. They're impressed by the power of Paul, but they're not drawn to the God who is performing the miracles through the Apostle Paul. The name of Jesus is just a word. It's a magical incantation. They have nothing to do with the person of Jesus. They have nothing to do with the words of Jesus. They have nothing to do with the works of Jesus. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for them was probably just an event. It was not a life-changing experience. When they think about Jesus' death, they're not thinking about the fact that Jesus actually had taken their place on the cross and paid the penalty for their sin. There's no, there's no experience of grace in their life, and there's no faith in their life. There's none of that. They want the power without the person. They want the results without the relationship. They want the benefits without buy-in. And look at what happens. Verse 15. But the evil spirit that they are addressing answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Wow, what a question. Who are you? Who are you? You see, they were claiming the name of Jesus, but really had no part in Jesus. And I have this, I have a growing, growing, growing deep burden and passion in my heart that there are many who claim the name of Jesus, but they are living an empty shell of a life without the power of Jesus' presence within them. For many, Jesus is a ritual, he's a religion, and there is no actual relationship. Jesus for some, and maybe for some of you who are watching this, Jesus is something that you do. It's something that your parents have passed down to you. It's just part of your schedule. It's a box that you check off. It's an add-on to everything else. This question that the evil spirit asks is a question that should be penetrating your heart right now, and I pray that the Spirit of God is penetrating into your heart right now with this question. Who are you? 
Who are you? Or whose are you? This pandemic has reminded me, and it reminds all of us every single day, of the brevity of life. As we're reminded over and over again every single day about people who are dying from COVID-19, we're reminded again of how brief life is. That there, we are all appointed to die, and then we will stand judgment before the Lord. Listen, the faithless heart is the powerless life. God is revealing to you, if he's revealing to you to this right now, that really maybe you have an unbelieving heart, that really maybe your whole relationship with Jesus, this idea of having Jesus in your life is just a cultural thing, and it's not a real personal thing. Listen, hear, hear, hear the words of Scripture. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Not just believing about Jesus, but actually believing in Jesus. So here's the first thing that God does. He reveals, he reveals the unbelieving heart. He reveals the unbelieving heart here in this story. And that's the, the, one of the key things he's, he's doing. That. And maybe he's doing that to you right now. He's revealing your unbelieving heart. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Here's the second heart in chapter 19. Verse 17, it says this, And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Here we have the worshiping heart in verse 17. This became known to all. The key word in these verses is, in this verse is all. It became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both the Jews and the Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. The report is given, it becomes known. They're confronted with the reality of what has just happened, that Jesus is actually greater. All the residents of Ephesus, can you imagine? All the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, fear fell upon them all. Heart change is starting in all other residents of Ephesus. There's something going on inside of their hearts. Now, I, I don't know if this means there was a mass conversion. I'm not sure of that, but all I do know this. Is something is happening inside of their hearts. There's a growing recognition on their behalf that Jesus is more powerful. There's a reverent fear that falls on them, and they begin to extol or to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine being in a city where people actually, people actually had that kind of reverent fear fear, and they were beginning to magnify the name of the Lord Jesus. Wow! And this pandemic has remind, should have reminded all of us by this time that life is uncertain, and oh, by the way, we're not in control. That's the delusion of humanity, that somehow we can be in control, that we live like we are in control. And they were faced with the same kind of circumstances. Their life was turned upside down when they began to realize that, whoa, who is this Jesus? It's turned upside down for them. What's your heart response to the uncertainty and the lack of control in which you're living in in the midst of this pandemic? Do, do you find your heart, do you find your heart increasing, increasingly in awe and praise of Jesus? knowing how much greater he is than everything else that's going on? 
Is that your heart response? Or is your heart response frustration and anger and apathy or I'm going to fight this all the way? Is, is worship of Jesus rising in your heart these days? Are you increasingly drawn to him, seeing him more and more as greater than the uncertainty that we're facing? There's no one and nothing greater than Jesus Christ. I love, I love how the Apostle Paul puts it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Listen to these words as I read them. Talking about Jesus Christ, he's describing Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Praise the Lord. That's who Jesus is. Jesus, God reveals our hearts and he begins to change our hearts. God, please change our hearts into people who are full of worship, recognizing in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the fact that we are not in control, that you are. God, you are. As much as life is uncertain right now, we don't know what's going to happen next, you know, you, all things, you hold all things together. Jesus holds all things together. The worshiping heart. Is that your heart? And then there's this heart here. Look at this one in verses 18 and 19. There's the repentant heart. You see the building, the unbelieving heart, and then the, the, the be, be, people begin to worship the Lord. And then in verse 18, we have the repentant heart. And it says, Also many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, I, I checked with a lot of commentaries about what the 50,000 pieces of silver were worth, what it actually meant, all this thing. And I got all these different kind of uh, re results. Everybody's thinking it's this or it's, or it's this. Let me just say this. It's a lot of money. 50,000 pieces of silver. I mean, God is doing a dramatic, a dramatic work in their hearts because when it comes to Jesus... There is no other name. He is absolutely Lord. Now it says here in verse 18 that, that those who were believers, they came confessing and divulging their practices. These believers, they were already saved and now they're confronted with the reality that these magical arts that they're doing don't mix with Jesus. It's absolutely fully incompatible with Jesus. Are you surprised by that? Are you surprised that, that, that they would be practicing magical arts? Well, part of me is surprised. Maybe it was out of ignorance. I'm not sure what the case would be, why they were still practicing the magical arts. But I would just say this. Let's not be quick to throw stones because we shouldn't be that surprised because we do kind of the same thing. Many of us have idols stuck in the closets of our life. 
John Calvin said this well when he said this about us. He said, humans are perpetual factory of idols. Wow, that's like, really? We are a perpetual factory of idols is what he said. John Piper, when he's describing or defining what an idol is, he says this. He says, an idol in your life is the thing loved or the person loved more than God, wanted more than God, desired more than God, treasured more than God, enjoyed more than God. Okay, just think, just stop, reflect, pause, and think about this again. Let's read it again. An idol is a thing loved or the person loved more than God. Right? Ask yourself this question in your life right now. Is there something in your life right now that you love more than God? Something that is wanted more than God. Is there something in your life right now that you want? If someone really asks you this question, is there something in your life that you want more than God? Is there something you desire more than God? Is there something that you treasure more than God? Is there something that you're enjoying more than God or that you want to enjoy more than God? Is there? If there is, it's an idol. Nancy Guthrie, in one of our episodes in Truth and Troubled Times, she was talking about, um, you know, uh, an idol isn't always a bad thing. She said sometimes it can be a good thing that becomes an ultimate thing. That's so right. And it's yet very wrong, right? An idol is anything that takes God's rightful place in your life and is then by nature incompatible with Jesus, who is Lord of your life. And the pandemic is exposing in our hearts all kinds of idols. Oh, yes, it is. It's exposing all kinds of idols. There's there's cultural idols. That's exactly what they were struggling with here in chapter 19, verses 18 through 19. Everybody in Ephesus was involved some, in some way. A large number of people were involved in magical arts. Okay? It, they were involved in it. It was part of their culture. It's what they did. And, and so what happens is, is Jesus shows up. God shows up performing miracles for the Apostle Paul through the name of Jesus. Jesus Christ shows up in their lives, and exposes the cultural idol. And the pandemic has done the same thing for us. Just think, overnight, overnight, entertainment and sports stopped. Our idol of pleasure was revealed. Security. Overnight, many of us have experienced, some of us have experienced the flipping of, of, of financial security in a very short period of time. Or how about the idol of safety and comfort or the idol of rights and freedoms? None of these things are wrong in and of themselves, but they are wrong if they stand in the way of Jesus Christ ruling in our lives. They're wrong if they stand in the way of Jesus ruling in our lives. And so you might be here watching this this morning, thinking about, uh, thinking about idols and say, well, I, like, I don't know if I have idols. Well, there's some questions you could probably ask of your own life. I and mean, you can identify cultural idols, but there's some questions you might want to ask of your own personal life. Let me just put some of these up on the screen, some questions you might want to be thinking about. These questions might help you kind of pull back the layers of your life to begin to understand whether or not you actually do have idols in your life. And I would encourage you, if you're, 
at home watching with someone else. Maybe when we're done with our time here together, you can just take some time, work your way through some of these questions and ask yourself, like, you know, what are your answers to these questions now in the midst of the pandemic? Okay? In the midst of this pandemic, what are you dreaming about or longing for? What is it that you're ultimately dreaming for or longing for? What is it that would make you really happy? What pushes the buttons in your life right now? What's making you frustrated, angry, or resentful? What does that reveal about what's going on in your heart? What makes you feel frustrated, angry, or resentful? What are you worrying about? How does anxiety raise its ugly head in your life? What are you worrying about? When things are getting tough these days, what are you turning to? What are you turning to? All of these kind of, and other questions too. These questions and other questions like them can really help you kind of understand and peel back and understand what's going on in your life, what the idols are in your life. Here, let me just ask the question this way. What is taking the place of Jesus in your life right now? What is it? Maybe for some of you, it's like, oh, man, I got it. I, I got it. The Spirit of God has given it to you. It's clear as day in your mind and in your heart. And you're asking this question, okay, what then? What am I supposed to do? Well, you do what they did, right? In verses 18 and 19. What do you do with the idol? Well, look at what they did, verse 18. They came confessing and divulging their practices. And then it says, a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. I mean, that, would, that must have been some kind of bonfire. They burned them in sight of all, and they counted the value of them all, and found it, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. What do you do? You confess. You repent. You confess. You divulge. You burn. In other words, you get radical. You have to get radical with idols, right? This was radical. Their response is radical. I mean, they, they brought enough stuff that equaled 50,000 pieces of silver. It's, it's a radical movement. You have to name it. Name what your idol is. Repent. Repent before God of, of that idol. Change, have it change your mind. And then recognize the danger it is and take steps to remove it or to tear it down in your life. Because Jesus is Lord and anything that stands in the way of him has to go. It has to go. That should be the desire of our heart. Right? Anything that stands in the way of the Lord, that, that it has to go. Jesus died for us. He rose again for us. So we can experience life with God now and forever. The more we see who Jesus is, how powerful he is, that there is no other name other than the name of Jesus. The more we understand that, the more we understand that the idols of our lives have to go. And so it says in verse 20, so, and remember what the word so means, in this way, the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. In this way, Jesus spread the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is spread. Jesus is building his church. He does that by revealing and changing hearts. Where is your heart today? Is it an unbelieving heart? Is it a worshiping heart? Is God pointing, is the Spirit of God pointing out to you something in your life, an idol in your life that you need to repent of? Please, Lord, please, Lord. 
Please, Lord, allow that to happen. Repent of the idols of your life because it all starts with our hearts. Lord, change the unbelieving heart to become a faith-filled heart. Lord, increase our worship of Jesus Christ these days in the midst of the pandemic. Why? Because he's greater. He's greater. Lord, move us to repentance, please, over our sinful hearts, over the idols. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. He is Lord. Bring revival to our church. Bring revival to my life, Lord, please. Bring revival to our communities. Bring revival to our city like you did in Ephesus. Bring revival to our country, Lord. It all starts with our hearts. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. Spirit of God, we ask you, we plead with you, please, as we now come to the altar, right? With our hearts, we're coming to the altar. Lord, save souls. Renew lives for your glory. Please, Lord, please do it. And we ask this in Jesus' name, the one we glorify. Amen.